Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Trapping Today podcast. I am your host, Jeremiah Wood. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's awesome to be here and really excited about this episode. The Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Check out Kyle and Kellen Cots and all the stuff they've got going on there at Cots Bros. Uh, great trapping supply company, lots of books, DVDs, uh, all kinds of resources for you to uh, to get into trapping and, and pick up the stuff that you need. So um, take a look there, and uh, I'm hoping we're going to have an interview with Kyle Kotz, uh hopefully in the next month, uh, seeing we can line up our schedules and make that happen. But I'm really excited to for you guys to hear more about his company and what they do there and uh, all the stuff that they got going on. Uh, I have an awesome interview tonight with Chris Pope from CoyoteTrappingSchool.com, and Chris has got a lot going on. We had a great conversation. Um, I just have so much to talk about today, guys. This uh, this episode, um, if I were to talk about all the things that I want to talk about, we'd be about two and a half hours. So anyway, we got a, a pretty long interview with Chris. I didn't want to cut any of it out, so uh, so we've got. Uh, we discussed a wide variety of things. We talked about trapping in Alaska and the Aleutian Islands, uh, the different things that he's got going on on his different channels, uh, his coyote trapping school course, uh, interacting with antis uh, on social media. We talked a little bit about beaver trapping, about trapping coyotes around cows, and just a general discussion about learning new things and always be will- being willing to try things on the trap line. We had a lot of fun. Um, for me, lately, uh, we are into under-ice beaver trapping. So I set up uh, a couple of lodges uh, five, six days ago. And today I went in and checked those and pretty awesome results. I was pretty excited. I I'm only made seven sets and they're a combination of, of uh, body grip traps and uh, snares. And out of seven sets, I caught six beavers. So it was really, really a good start to the season. Um, Got to get my butt moving, get some skinning done, and uh, get out and scout some more lodges and find a few other places. But I had two very happy landowners today, that's for sure. So anyway, um, if you want to, uh, one of the things you can do is support trapping today. And the stuff that I'm doing here, check out my book, Fur Profit, A Trapper's Guide to the Modern Fur Market. Uh, you can find that on Amazon. You can get it from Cots Bros. Think about it. You are that from Cots Bros. You're supporting a sponsor to the podcast, and you're supporting the host of the podcast. How cool is that? Um, and and a bunch of other places online you can get it from F&T, PCS, Outdoors. So, uh, so check that out if you want to learn more about the fur market. And we have uh, hopefully an interview. We have a really good interview I just finished um, with Garrett Volk from Volk Furs. And we're going to talk about uh, the coyote market. And then we got some more interviews coming up uh, with uh, with some people. I, I, I guess I won't talk about it just yet because it's not been finalized. But um, I'm pretty excited. We're going to hopefully learn a whole lot more about uh, the fur market, fur grading, and... and um, the ins and outs of the market. So uh, anyway, with that, thank you so much for tuning in. It's always great to hear from you. Tons and tons of feedback. Uh, we got reviews on iTunes, got a bunch of emails, got questions and answers, all kinds of stuff uh, we won't get into. So at some point here, I'll have to do a little episode to catch up on that stuff. Um, but great to hear from you. Oh, um, uh, Chris, uh, not Chris, uh, sorry, Jeff, I get an email from... Oh, a guy, Steve and Jeff from Wisconsin, uh, talking about the, the long-distance call lure that they're, they're using that I make. Um, I just got a picture of a f- nice, huge fisher that Jeff caught on that long-distance call lure. So pretty excited to see that, um, getting, getting a lot of good feedback there too. So thanks, guys, so much, and hope you enjoy this interview, and, and, uh, and stay tuned for a bunch more. All right, so Chris Pope, uh, CoyoteTrappingSchool.com, a trapper, uh, relatively young trapper, right, from Georgia. Yep. Um, the first thing, oh, uh, some this week someone uh, commented on uh, about my podcast. They called me the. Uh, he said this guy is the the working man, Steve Ranella. You listen to the Meat Eater podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was 
That is not justified, but probably the best compliment I've ever had in my life. That, so I'm, that, I'm gonna ask you. Good. I'm gonna try to ask some hard questions here. <laughs> <laughs> try and live up to that. So the first question I have is uh, something that has uh, been, been unanswerable. Uh, since the beginning of time, for generations, we haven't been able to figure it out. Is it coyote or coyote? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can refer back to what I heard Stephen Ranella say, answer that before. That that uh, people who don't kill them say coyote, and people that have killed them say coyote. So. <laughs> what do you call them? Uh, it depends on who I'm talking to, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, anyway, Chris, um, so so you have Coyote Trapping School. Actually, Coyote Trapping School almost rolls off the tongue pretty good, too. So It does. Of- Usually, I, I, that's how I go with it because it sounds better. <laughs> but you've done a lot. So maybe we should go back to the beginning and talk about how you got started as a trapper and, and, and where all this came from. Yeah, so I, I uh, kind of like you, I, I grew up hunting and fishing. and um, But the where we hunted, my family, we just had like 20 acres behind my grandmother's and uh, which it was good hunting but I, after I started kind of progressing I was I, I liked looking for sign and, and things like that and there wasn't a whole lot of I felt like I kind of lost the challenge because we always went to the same stands and hunted the same stands um, and so my uncle he had trapped a little bit um, in the in the past and he had volumes of fur fishing game magazines yeah and so just the the some of the Alaska stories and that just, that's always captivated me. Uh, and so I started reading through those magazines and talking to him about it some. And that's kind of how I got the bug out. And honestly, the idea in the back of my mind that, hey, there's the potential to make a little bit of money here. Like that was definitely a driver too. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it hasn't panned out as well as I thought it might, <laughs> but that was a driver that got me started early on. So, um, yeah. Anything you can do and, you know, make, try and make a living doing something you enjoy. Man, that's, that's really hard to beat. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I love being outside and, and, and the chase anyway. So, um, so I, I got started trapping in high school was when I finally, uh, bought a few traps and, and, uh, set a few and made my first catches. Uh, and then I actually went to a Georgia Trappers Association convention. I learned about the Trappers Association and, there was a couple guys there that really kind of took me under their wing and invited me to go on their trap line with them. And that was really what made a big difference in my, my, you know, my trapping ability, just being able to see somebody, somebody that's done it a long time. And, right. um, uh, that, that helped tremendously. And that's one of the things I always say, anybody that's, that's interested, if you can get plugged into your, your state trapping association, that's gonna, that's gonna make a huge difference. And there's a lot of good, good folks and good knowledge there. Yeah, absolutely. Those guys are are active in the association because they want to help promote trapping and keep it going. And, and yeah, help that's right. Get into it. So they they love you know all the all all the rendezvous and trappers meetings I've been to. They're just you know they're always lamenting that there's not enough young people uh, getting into it. So uh, if if you want to get started, that's that's really a good place to start. That's right. That's right. So then from there, I I kind of. I kept trapping and kind of adding traps and, and, uh, adding land along and along. We wound up going to, going to college and my dad, he worked in a, in a factory in a plant, box plant. And he always told me to do something that you want to do. And the best <laughs> yeah. thing I could figure out was wildlife biology. I thought that would be kind of cool. So I went to, uh, school and got my wildlife biology degree. Wait, did you and go in Georgia? Where'd you go? I did. Uni- University of Georgia. Go dogs. Nice. So, uh, I went there for four years and honestly, the first two years I was about ready to quit. I hated the core classes and <laughs> calculus and chemistry, man. I, but once I finally got into forestry school and started doing the, the wildlife program, that, that changed in overnight. It was just, I loved every minute of it. Yeah. Um, and that gave me a lot of, that opened some doors and gave me a lot of neat opportunities. Uh, I got to my first, we had to do an internship. So my first internship was actually, through the a guy that I met through the Trappers Association, he uh, did some beaver work through the summer, and then he also was a nuisance alligator trapper. Hmm. And uh, so I wound up going and spending a summer with him down in South Georgia, trapping beavers during the during the day. And whenever we had gator calls, we would go out and catch alligators at night. So that was a lot of fun, and that definitely fueled my fueled my 
fire and my passion too. Um, and then I got to go the next year, the next summer I got to go to Alaska, which was a, a bucket list thing. And that was a, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. That's a whole story in itself. You want know? <laughs> actually, yeah. uh, Chris actually wrote an article for trapping today, uh, about trapping Fox in the Aleutian islands of Alaska. Um, I think we ought to get into that. That's that's something that I was dreaming of doing back when I was in wildlife uh, wildlife ecology degree in Maine. There was guys talking about that job uh, and going out there and trapping. I thought that was awesome, and you actually did it. Yeah, it was it was pretty. I actually went. I actually spent two summers in Alaska. The first summer, I was doing actually some research and some. Uh, it was on a river otter project, but it was all research based. We were still living remotely. Uh, but the second time I went up there was the, the fox trapping and man, that was, it was unreal. Um, just the, from going out there and, and it's, it's pretty neat, uh, because the, I guess the Fish and Wildlife Service has been working on these projects trying to get the foxes off of the Aleutian Islands throughout the whole chain since the late forties. I think 1949 was the first year they started. Yeah. So um, way, way back in the day that, uh, those, Islands were stocked with fox from the Russians, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it was, that's the, the largest, I think, uh, seabird nesting ground in the world. That is the Aleutian National Wildlife Refuge or something like that. And war. It's not the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge yeah. that everybody talks not about. The controversial one. Exactly. Exactly. It's the, uh, an unknown one, basically. But the the catch with it was is all the the seabirds that nest there they nest on the ground. There's no trees, wow. and so it was pretty awesome that they could come and dump a couple pairs of foxes out on the islands. And there was so much food for the foxes that they could just proliferate and come back a couple of years later, trap some of the foxes, still leave a few, and it was like a free fur farm. You know, they didn't have to do anything <laughs> about it. Yeah, and and that's all fine and good when the fur prices are good, but what about when the market just tanks and all of a sudden no one's no one's going and harvesting those boxes? Yeah, and so that's where that's what it, it wound up being is that all of those islands that, that had those nesting birds were there was no birds nesting on them. And I think what brought it to light was the Aleutian cackling goose, which is a subspecies of the Canada goose huh, that was gotten gotten uh I guess endangered, gotten on the endangered list. And uh, there was only there was a few of the islands that were small enough that nobody or one of the islands, I think, just had such terrible access that never got foxes on them. And so those small islands and, and the hard to access islands never got foxes on them. And I think that was where uh, there was a few remnant um, survivors of the, that Aleutian cackling goose. And uh, so that's that's kind of how the project got started. I think initially was just trying to trying to bring those back um, from an endangered status. But uh, it also has had a huge impact on all the other nesting nesting shorebirds and seabirds up there. Would you have any wild guess as to how many islands had fox put onto them? It's the it's the majority. I don't because there's I think there's fifteen hundred. There's a bunch of oh, islands geez, in that Aleutian so chain. But uh, yeah, I mean it's it's the they've been doing a couple of islands a year. Like I said, since nineteen forty nine. And uh, there's still islands to go. It's it's pretty unreal. And some of the islands are huge, you know. Um, some of those volcanic islands, and and just you add that to it, and the ruggedness. You can only work a couple of couple of months of the year out there. It's a uh, it's for sure a, a daunting task. And more fox. Yeah, you have a lot more foxes to remove. Yeah, uh, that's right. So so basically, it, you you have to catch all but one. <laughs> Unless uh, you have to remove all but one fox on that island, unless there's two and they're both males, or there's three and they're both all females, or whatever. But uh, if you leave one breeding pair, then all of that work you did to trap and remove those fox is kind of uh, for naught, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so that's what when they go up there, as they pass certain islands, the ones that they think they have finished up on the uh, removal zone, they'll actually dr- drop people off and to walk the shore to see if they see any foxes, see any tracks or signs, just to verify that, yes, we're confident the, this island is fox-free. Yeah. And you, so you spent a whole summer just fox-trapping. Yep. Yep, we got dropped off the end of May, so we had to do, uh, I got to, flew into Anchorage and actually went to Homer um, in early May and spent two weeks kind of like training, uh learning about the Zodiac boats because 
that's the majority of what you do. That's how you get around on the islands because the foxes are scavengers. Really, since there's no shorebirds, no nesting birds on the island, the foxes just scavenge the beaches trying to find something to eat is, is all they do. So that's primarily where you trap is along the beaches. And uh, so you're you're navigating around and getting dropped off at points where, you know, it's it's safe to drop somebody off and then the trapper will run, you know, a half mile or a, a good stretch and then you'll pick him up and, and kind of ferry each other down like that. So we did a lot of a lot of training with the boats and uh, getting no, you know, learning how to set them up, break them down, and uh, and then getting all our gear and equipment. And then we went out on the forest service or the fish and wildlife service. They've got a their own like a crabbing boat that uh, that's specifically for running through the Aleutians, dropping people off. Because there's also some um, some people that there are some cabins that they'll do bird surveys and things like that on certain islands. Yeah. And so, uh, so that boat kind of makes us, makes us journey down the Aleutian chain, dropping folks off and then it'll come back and back and pick them up. Um, and so that's what we got dropped off probably late May and we're there until probably the first or middle of July. Um, and then we were, honestly, we were, we were pretty excited and pumped up and it was a relatively small island. Um, it's called Rutuk Island. You probably never heard of it because it's it's a small island, but it was it's pretty close to Dutch Harbor. Okay. Um, it's just a little bit northeast of Dutch Harbor, and so it's a relatively small island. So, like I said, we there was three of us that were dropped off there, and we thought it would be a, you know, it was going to be a slam dunk. Man, we can we can knock this thing out, and <laughs> no problem. Well, those I guess they're all old volcanic islands, so parts of it there were cliffs, you know, like a couple hundred feet high, just straight up from the beach, straight up. Yeah. And uh, so it was a lot. There was a lot more to it than just skittering around and and setting out some traps. But there weren't very many foxes on the island. So uh, I think we caught 18 total. And I think we caught 16 of those in the first two weeks. Okay. And so we kind of got bored pretty quick, which in that situation, you're kind of supposed to because the idea was you'd, you'd like to go minimum of a week without making a catch. Right. Um, before you get picked up, just to make sure that you're you're pretty confident. In addition so we went, to that, you're going to go back again to make sure. That's right. That's right. So we wound up going a month without making a catch easy, which was oh, that's going to be brutal. Because <laughs> there's nothing else to do. I mean, we did some fishing. I mean, you know, we, <laughs> but but you still we would we would make rounds and try to set traps in new areas. But like I said, the the bulk of the the bulk of the trapping was all on the beach. We caught two, maybe three foxes, kind of inland. Um, and it was, it was a lot more ground to cover than we expected because of the terrain and topography. Um, it, it was, it was still a lot of fun. It was that Alaska, especially that coastal Alaska. And, and I think even worse, the Aleutians, like there's, there's no, no trees. So there's no windbreak. The wind blows oh, constantly. Yeah. The fog will set in or the rain or mist. I think there was one day when I was up there that I had, I wore short sleeves for the day and we, we actually saw sun. So Jeez. by the end of it, I was, uh, I was, we were all ready to get off the island and leave. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't long and I was ready to go back. That was kind of, that, that's something about, about Alaska. You just, if you've been there, you just, you can't shake it. You want to go back. So it was, it was pretty cool though. And it, we actually, we wound up wrapping up that island a little bit early and there were two other islands a couple of miles from ours that we, went over to and set up camp for a week and a half and did uh they were they have rabbits on they didn't have foxes but they had rabbits on. Mm. and so we they were going to do the rabbit trap the rabbits the following summer but they wanted to do some testing with some different methods to see what was most effective and so we spent a, about a week and a half trapping rabbits on that island before we before we came out so so were these foxes pretty i'm assuming they're pretty easy to trap they're fairly hungry yeah, it was, I mean, it was like raccoon trapping or something. There was, <laughs> we didn't cover the traps. There were, you know, you just put some, if you put some bait there, they were going to come check it out. Just kind of like, were you, you weren't making, were you making dirt hole sets? You're just sticking some, some bait and having a couple guide sticks or something or rocks? Yeah, that was kind of if we could find something, you know, make like a, a V out of some driftwood or something like that. Yeah. And put the trap kind of in the center, put the, put the bait back in the back of the V and then staple the, Staple the trap a one and a half coil spring to one of the one of the driftwood pieces and just act as a drag. Hmm. Yeah, pretty pretty easy stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was. It was. So after the Aleutians, what'd you do? So after that, I came back and uh, worked for a, a short time um, with the Forest Service doing a uh, deer research project. We were actually capturing whitetail deer um, and capturing the does and tracking when they gave birth to track and try to get an idea of what uh, predation on the on the fawns. So this was in uh, South Carolina and trying to get a get a feel for if coyotes were having a significant impact on the population there. And so did that rocket netted deer for um, in the spring and then track the track the fawns for um, I guess I did that till about May. And uh, then wound up going back to school that following semester. I worked with the again with the USDA with their wildlife services branch doing some they do a lot of geese goose removal and some beaver removal and stuff in, in Georgia and a bunch of the southern states. And so I did that yeah. until I started back to school to get my master's in forestry. Right on. Huh. So that's what that's what I do. That's my, my real job as a forester and then I, I try to trap as much as I can to to give me that's what I like doing. So, yeah, um, it's it kind of kind of neat talking with you because we have a lot in common. I've got a master's in fisheries biology, and I work a full time job, and both kind of you know love to trap, but you can't devote all of your time to it. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I kind of you know I was thinking about that a little bit, and and talk about you know doing things in the trapping industry, and traditionally what it was is you know guys would. Guys would go out like Clint Lockley and go state hopping all over the country and just full time catch a thousand beaver and catch, you know, a hundred bobcats and a couple hundred coyotes and go all over the place and build a reputation as a trapper and then kind of, you know, get into the industry selling baits and lures and selling DVDs and, and everything. Um, and, and that's, that just doesn't seem very feasible these days with, with the way fur prices are. Right. Um, and it, I guess you could probably do it if you got really creative, but uh, for the most part, it, it's uh, it's pretty well uh, unachievable. Uh, but I, I like what you're doing, and what what I see it as, and uh, you can give me your feedback on this, but I see it as being like a, a leading learner, um, that concept where uh, as you are becoming more experienced you're not full-time trapping but as you're becoming more experienced and getting you know you're getting out and setting traps and learning things uh you're teaching other people while you're doing that you've got your your uh, instagram your youtube channel and your coyote trapping school program and all that and, and and you're kind of just building this stuff a little bit at a time yeah and that's i mean really kind of why i started everything was going back to when I first got started and, and having somebody kind of show me along and, and, and show me versus just reading in a magazine, show me this is how I do things. This is how I set a dirt hole set. This is what I do with my traps. Uh, and that, that's just from the years that I was trapping and whenever I talked to people and, and they would learn that I trapped, you know, it, it I was all probably 50% of the time, you know, somebody would say, man, I've always wanted to do that. Or that's, you know, that's my granddad used to do that. I always thought that would be neat. And so just coming up with some way, I mean, with the, the Internet and the way it is, you can reach so many more people now. And so I just started started producing kind of how-to content on what I was doing on my trap line. And, and uh, it really, I guess it, it's really struck a chord with people and allowed. Um, that's probably the... The most rewarding thing is, man, especially since trapping season has started now, you know, I'll get a picture <laughs> yeah. or a DM or something like that. Hey, you caught my first coyote or this. I just, you know, we got this red fox off of your dirt hole set video. And that's a, uh, that's pretty awesome. That's exactly what, you know, I want to, I want trapping to, to be able to continue and, and try to get as many people involved as I can. And that, that's really kind of, it's, it's transformed more into than I ever imagined into a platform and, and, um, you know, just the, the people that follow along and, and are interested in it. So it's been, it's been pretty, pretty neat. Yeah. That's just the, the most amazing thing for me has been the feedback from people who um, have not trapped or, you know, we're in it a little bit and they haven't trapped for years and they start listening to the podcast and all of a sudden, you know, just kind of motivates them to get out there and trap. And, and 
I, you know, I've had a few people send messages like that, and it's just, it's just the coolest thing. I never expected that, you know. Yep, that's right. And it's honestly putting it out there as much as I have, you know, with last year I did a a trap line every day of the trap line that I ran the trap line. I posted a video, and so knowing that that was coming up again this year, and thinking, you know, I don't want to just do the same stuff. You know, I want to, I want to put something out there that somebody can enjoy watching, but also maybe hopefully learn something. And it's it's kind of pushed me, and I would say helped me to become a better trapper because I'm thinking outside of the box stuff yes. that beforehand. I said, you know, I'm not going to try that. I don't. I want to try drags or those expand the pans. It's going to throw. You know, you're going to have so much, so many extra misses. And you know, when you think about it, and somebody somebody came up with that. There's people that use that. So yeah. what I I need to be more open minded and try it for myself, other than just taking somebody else's opinion. So that's been that's been fun too, because like I said, that, that's definitely pushed me more in the last couple of years to be thinking outside of the box and trying new things than, than I have before. Oh yeah. That that's an underlying theme in, in everything that I've been doing the last couple of years is just uh, keeping your mind open. And, and it's so hard because naturally uh, we, we tend to kind of close things into a box because it's more efficient that way where, yep. you know, if, if, if I do this, this, then I am successful. So I'm going to set dirt hole sets for coyotes. And uh, you you kind of fall into a trap there where you, where you you lose your creativity and you stop thinking and you stop learning. So yep. I, I, that's a natural thing and I fight it every single day. But, <laughs> so so you've got uh, let's go over your stuff because you you get a lot you put a lot of stuff out there. You've got um, the YouTube channel. You just crushing the YouTube. You got like over seven thousand subscribers on there. Um, a bunch of videos. Um, you have, uh, you're on Instagram constantly putting things up. Uh, you start a podcast where you're like 20 episodes in or so. Yep. Um, you got coyotetrappingschool.com. Um, is there anything I'm missing there? No, nah, I think that that pretty well covers it. I recently started more on Facebook, um, just trying to, trying to cover, figure out where people were at and, and, and put stuff there. So. Yeah. You getting good feedback from Facebook? Yeah, I have. It's been uh it's been a little bit of a mixture. I, I tend to get more comments and interaction, I feel like, than I than I do on Instagram. Yeah. But uh I definitely get more since I started uh since I started Facebook, I get more messages through Facebook um than I ever had. And uh but that with that comes comes the haters and the trolls. So uh, that's uh <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole new whole other element. Um that's an animal right there for sure. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I've heard you, I've heard you discuss that too in your podcast. Do I show this stuff? Do I not? Um, it, it, you know, it, it's it, it gets back to the the ethical uh, discussions around trapping. You know, um, if if you you don't feel you don't have any issues with showing a dead animal in a trap, other people do. So how do you decide? You know whether whether you should show that or not. Yep. That's right. And that's, like I said, it, and, and one of the comments recently, so I, I went to Ohio trapping and, uh, caught a coyote up there, took my picture with the coyote still in the trap. You know, I, I, that's not uncommon for trappers to do and, uh, get the, and, and with, with somebody that replies with a comment, you know, I, I'm willing to go back and forth with them a little bit. Not in a negative manner, but if I feel like that I can provide a little more color to the situation yeah. and a little bit of ed- education. And, and there have been a few folks that said, oh, wow, I didn't realize that's what you're doing or, you know, well, that's this. a victory. That's good. Yeah. And so most of the time it doesn't go that way. It degrades <laughs> very quickly. But yeah. there have been a couple of people that, you know, uh, especially one that stands out was, uh, from like England or somewhere. And once I told him, look, this is, this is, regulated by the state and federal government and there's all these you gotta have a license and all this and and you know everything's monitored and he's like he got not to say that he's gonna start crapping but it definitely made him think a little bit about it sure Uh, but but that that being said i I had a couple comments on went back and forth with somebody about the coyote in the trap and you know the animal like they typically do the animal's obviously suffering and uh, so that that's something that, that made me think and I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that, but yeah. I, I may not, uh, you know, I, I may not post any more pictures, at least for this season of me 
with a live animal in a trap. You know, maybe I dispatch the animal and take a picture of it with the trap. Just yeah, because I definitely try to put a lot of thought into what I do put out because I don't want to do anything that gives trappers a bad name. Yeah. That's the last thing I want to do. And so there's something small that I can tweak or I can I can do that may leave a little bit better of an impression on certain people that I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to try that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I have said on on this podcast in the past that I'm a little uncomfortable with with some of those photos. Uh, you know, you get on Instagram, you see a bunch of that stuff going up, and and it it does make me just a little bit uncomfortable. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. The guy yeah. that took the picture wasn't uncomfortable with it. So you you almost you have a little bit of a filter there where uh, you know. If I, I'm uncomfortable. Somebody else probably uncomfortable. Someone is outraged, um, and someone's like, "Wow, that's awesome!" And I mean, it's, it's really just one of those things where you know we all have our own little uh, internal um, compasses on what we feel is that we are okay with, and you just kind of have to navigate that. And it's tough when you have uh, you know a thousand people watching what you <laughs> the picture that you put out yeah uh, because you're gonna have people that don't like it but it's uh i i think it just it all goes back to um if you can sleep you know you can sleep at night um that's that's really what matters so, yep yeah. but uh that that's a deep that's a steve Ramella topic <laughs> but anyway um okay i had a few things i want to get into but first i, I I want to I want to talk about coyote trapping school, but I, I, you had something before that about beavers, and can you get into you know what you did there because I don't really know much about it. Yeah, so honestly, like with this, kind of like with trapping, when I when I first started looking into to a website and, and YouTube and everything, the thought was, well, if I can find a way to monetize this, and uh, I've I've been listening to. Pat Flynn, Smart Passive Income podcast. Awesome podcast. Yeah. Talking about, I, I still that. listen to that. I love, yeah. I love it. But uh, talking about niches and niching down and and things like that, I was like, man, this is a this is a perfect niche. And um, at the time, I was in South Arkansas doing a lot of beaver trapping, and so that was what I I was trying to come up with a catchy name and and something that I could get the domain for and. So I, I, howtotrapbeavers.com was available. So bam, that was me right there. And uh, so the first, the first probably two years or so of my my YouTube channel was howtotrapbeavers.com. And uh, is that stuff then, still up? Yeah, it is. It is, and it's still got my logo on it and everything nice. from uh, from that. And then I transitioned. I, I always felt like the coyotes were would be more, especially in the south. There's been a lot of buzz around coyotes lately with the, you know, deer populations and just overall predation and the coyotes range expanding and getting more common. And so that's where a lot of, there's a lot of interest around. I mean, that's, I would say that's where the majority of new trappers in the South are coming into it is from a predator control standpoint. Right. And, uh, so that's when I came, came up with the idea of the, the course that I did, I, I have now as a with coyote trapping and I kind of, I moved away from the, the, beaver haven that i was living in in south arkansas and uh so i was a little better suited for for doing some coat videos and so that's what i started doing and i shifted everything i've still got how to trap beavers.com haven't updated it in a while but it's still out there with the yeah, information I'm that i originally right did. now actually <laughs> yeah yeah so uh and i need to i just hadn't done it i need to migrate all that stuff over to cody trapping school website just so i've got i mean my long-term goal is to have a whole, you know, trapping library there. Whether you want to trap raccoons, coyotes, beavers, maybe yeah. one of these days I'll get around and can add martens and fishers to there. That'd be pretty awesome. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but just you know, a, a resource where if you're looking for for any kind of trapping information, then I've got a good summary of it right here. You know, so. Uh, but that's that's how that's how kind of it's. I guess like with a lot of business ideas, it's kind of morphed and hadn't necessarily turned into a business yet, but. Uh, but it's uh, I'm definitely gaining gaining a lot of traction from a from a social standpoint, from an interest and and views and things like that. So that's been that's been positive for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about coyote trapping school. Um, that I, I've I've taken the course, so uh, I can't remember how many hours it is, but there's a lot there. there there's a lot of videos there. 
Um, yeah, it's over. It was over four hours of very basic how tos, how to get started. And then I've just, I've kind of revamped it, added some more. Um, originally it was just a dirt hole set and a flat set. Well, I've added a, a variety of different predator sets. I've got a set library that's got a bunch of different sets in there. And then over this trapping season, I'll be adding some of that other stuff like the raccoons and the beavers and stuff like that. So it's a, the, the idea from that came with so many people, you know, there's an online core for just about everything you could think of that you wanted to learn out there. And so right. why, why shouldn't there be, uh, you know, the same for trappers? I know there's tons of DVDs out there. Um, but I, if it's something that I can get instant access to, you can watch again, over again and go back to, cause it, and each, it's not four straight hours of content. It's broken up into, I think right. the longest There's, segment's about 20 minutes, but yeah. some of them are as small as five to eight minutes. Um, so it's easy to watch, you know, for a, a 20 minute break that you've got. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where that is. And you just go through module by module, you know, they're broken out into specific steps. And yeah, so there's, I got, I'm looking at it right now. There's nine different modules. Uh, there's an introduction. I'm, you won't go over a checklist of everything you need to get started. Um, trap assembly preparation, uh, location. That was pretty cool. You went over like some Google earth maps and showing people what to look for, for location. Uh, the dirt hole set, the flat set, catches and remakes, uh, more catches and remakes, pulling stakes, and then finally fur handling. So it's kind of a, a, a start to finish uh, on, on getting you going trapping coyotes. That's right. So, um, all right, so is that, um, you still got the trapping today discount on there? It should be, should be, yeah. Okay, so guys, if, if you... If you go to coyote trapping school or coyote trapping school.com slash trapping today, um, even if there's not a discount, that'll get you to, uh, to the, how to take the course or just go to coyote trapping school.com. And, uh, Chris had like a, a 20% discount. Uh, if you, if you enter the code today um, into that site to take the course, I think it's a hundred bucks for the course. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And I'm fixing the, and with the changes and kind of the improvements, I'm fixing to do that, break that up into a monthly and a yearly. Um, oh, okay. So if somebody's wanting to, to get in, and, and my hope is, and I, I think there will be, there's enough value there that, that you know, you would want to do it more than one month. But if you just want to make the make the one-month investment and then pull out, by all means, you know, and, and also um, adding a Facebook group. And uh, then maybe even, I hadn't, I hadn't for sure decided on this, but if anybody asked specifically for it, maybe even, doing like a walkthrough of a, you know, a Google Earth photo of your trapping territory and just give some kind of some highlights on what stands out to me as potential good spots. So yeah, that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, it, it, you know, I want to, I want to make sure that somebody's feeling like they're getting more than what they paid for, you know, right. I want to make sure that somebody walks away with no doubt in their mind that they can go out and start catching coyotes or bobcats or whatever they're, whatever they're wanting to. So so you're thinking about adding other species like coon. You talk about coons and beavers. Yep. Uh, would this be like a monthly subscription for all of the species? Or yeah. So that's what it's it's going to be is is a uh, you'll have access to everything. Okay. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. So, really, to me, this is where this is where things are going. You know, the DVD world is kind of. Uh, kind of phasing out and everybody's going to online courses for everything. So I think this is pretty cool. People are yeah, and I mean, it's, you watch it on your phone. One thing I've debated is, and I, I'll reach out to, I don't know if you, you know, you follow Corey Jacobson and Elk 101. No, I don't. Well, he's got a, he's got an Elk University, which is kind of the same thing. It's an online course, but he also had an app. Uh, he's also got an app that's got everything that you can access it through the app. Um, which everything on my website is mobile friendly. You can watch any of the core, any of the videos from your smartphone. So I've, I'm not sure. I've been debating on that whether an app would be an easier access point or not. Whether that would be worth the worth the worth the added investment. But, right. Yeah. It takes a little bit to develop an app for sure. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I if I was just getting started and wanted to trap my first coyote, I'd be taking this course. I mean, it, it's to me, it's you don't have if you know nothing about coyote trapping and you take this course, 
you're you're pretty much ready to go out and set some traps. So um, I, I I looking at what I'm thinking of myself like what, if I were to develop a course like this, I just wouldn't be able to do it because the things that you thought about uh, the small details I I I automatically would just kind of uh, you know I wouldn't even think about that like oh yeah I forgot you know I forgot someone needs to to really consider. Um, this detail and that detail where where you you just start from the ground up and cover it all so i think it was it was, it was really useful for me getting into it and learning uh you know kind of relearning this stuff and all the details that i i really just kind of overlook yeah and that honestly that was kind of part of the point too was i've watched trapping videos before and there's some good takeaways in a lot of them and there's some good knowledge for sure but not a lot of them are down to why you or even how to set a trap. If you've never trapped before, you may not know the best way to even set a trap, <laughs> yeah. uh, much less what to do with it or, you know, that it needs to have a tag on it or a stake or anything like that. So I wanted to I wanted to try to make sure, like you said, from the ground up, if you've never set a trap before, but you always wanted to, then you can take this course and you'll be ready at the end of the videos to, to do everything that's entailed that you need to. Yeah, and depending on where you're at, a couple coyotes and you've paid for the course, basically. Yeah, that's for sure in, in today's market, no <laughs> doubt. The coyote market is hot. Um, all right, so anything else we want to talk about about the course, Chris? No, I don't think so. And I'm, I'm always wide open. If, if anybody has any questions about the course or anything, man, feel free to reach out to me. DM me through Instagram, message me in, in uh, through Facebook or Chris, K-R-I-S, at CoyoteTrappingSchool.com. Don't hesitate to reach out to me if you got any questions about trapping in general or anything. So I, I like to, I try to be an open book, and I want to I want to provide as much value as possible. So Yeah, honestly, uh, the feedback that I've gotten from people, I, I just constantly get emails from people listening to the podcast and stuff, and, and uh, more than one occasion they've also mentioned you, said, you know, your podcast and, and – and Chris from Coyote Trapping School is just really useful. And the, the comments they've had is you answer everybody's questions and, and you really take the time to do it. So that's, you know, that, that go, I think that goes a long way. It's, it's difficult. I know how difficult it is to answer all of your emails and DMs, and everything, uh, but it goes a long way and people do appreciate it. All right. So a couple of questions for you, Chris. First of all, how'd you get such an awesome logo in Coyote Trapping School? Man, I just looked up with that. I can't, uh, I got, I, I did it on Upwork, I think, and just, uh, just, just, uh, had some people bid and then, and then told them what I was looking for. And that was, um, that was pretty cool. I also, as a, on a side, as a side, I do, uh, not that this is of any interest to a lot of trappers, but I also do nuisance trapping. And I had a logo designed for my nuisance company through, um, 99 Designs. And I like that you, you pay a little bit more, but there's a bunch of different, you get, you get all kinds of different designs from all kinds of different people. They're competing for you to pick their design. And Is that so that like was a hundred bucks for a logo. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and you'll, you'll get, you know, 18 to 30 submissions of different logos. And then you go through and check, which through Upwork, you hire somebody and then, you know, they may su submit you three or four revisions and you can go back and forth. But, but if um, you don't like it, you got to hire somebody else. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So that was that was the neat thing about 99 designs is is uh you get to look at a whole variety of different logos. So uh, I don't know. I was I was real happy with the the my Cody Trapping School logo though for sure. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think it looks pretty cool. Um, so you um, went on a trip to Ohio. You did some state hopping. Um, yep. Recently, can you tell us a little bit about that? That that dude. I was watching some of those videos and they. I don't know who that guy is, but he seems to be a pretty good trapper. Yeah, that's uh, Will Griffith from uh, Ohio, Central Ohio, and he, man, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. He reached out through me just a DM through Instagram. Oh yeah, and said, "Hey man, you ought to come up to Ohio trapping." And uh, so I get, and I do get requests, especially since I've done that. You know, people, I, people have been incredibly gracious, and hey, I've got a cabin in Virginia or, or this and that. You know, come on up, and uh, yeah. I, I enjoy that a lot. But it, I just you know, we kind of got to talking over the summer about it and, and, uh, wound up going up there, going up there and spending a week. I wish I could have spent more time with this. 
I don't know that it would have done much good as, as crazy as the weather has been all this trapping season. Apparently, at least across the whole East Coast, um, it's just been, been so been wet, and it was yeah, yeah, a lot yeah, of rain snow here. <laughs> and see, even up there in Ohio, they, they had a bunch of rain when I was up there. We got snow, but for the most part, it was a lot of rain, um, and it was a little bit warmer than usual temperature starting out. But um, it was a lot of fun. There again, that goes goes with you know learning new things, and there's always uh, I always like running with other trappers because you get to see different things that they do and how they think about things, and there's always something to pick up doing that. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, and then getting to getting to try a whole different area, um, you know, that was all big farm country. It's, uh, it was just a just a neat experience. I, I like I like being able to go go and, and trap a, a new area and kind of see how see how that country looks and how those trappers work. So, yeah, you picked up a tip on how to keep your dirt holes from filling up with water, right? Yeah, so that was it was is so simple thinking about it, but I never thought about it. And he was punching in his he used the cable stakes, and so he drove his cable stake. He pulled out his driver, and he just drilled, tapped another hole down in, and so that's my drain hole. I was like, man, that's that's awesome. And I actually, you know, we did that before and after the fact, and we were we got rain and making remakes, and um, the water was that the hole was full of water. Well, we drive another hole down there and you, the water would drop a little bit you might have to drive two or three but the water would get out of there and so that was a uh, i've definitely put that in put that into practice since i've been back yeah yeah every little bit now there's something else that you've done uh that i noticed and i don't know i don't know the background here but uh it looks like you're doing a little bit of the pipe dream set yeah so that was another thing that i started do i tried last year just thinking this is ridiculous initially my honest thought man this this guy's crazy using <laughs> pvc uh, pipe for kayaks. Zagger, yeah, yeah yeah that's right i read his article in trap and predator column <laughs> yeah. i said man you know what I'm, I'm gonna try it i gotta try it and see and so i did it and uh with the the grass covering so he uses grass clippings so what he does is he if you're if you're unfamiliar he digs a small hole for his for his trap bed and digs it smaller than the trap and deep um so that the whole the whole you've got room for the water to drain through underneath the trap um, and then he'll take his hammer and hammer the edge of the trap bed to try to make it just the right size for the trap to fit in so the trap is not actually sitting in dirt it's kind of suspended over a hole because the the edges of the bed are so tight that it just wedges in there and then he takes grass clippings and you know kind of spreads those grass clippings out across the top of the trap and that's it there's no sifting no pan cover no anything and uh i was and and then so then he takes a piece of uh conduit the gray the gray uh conduit uh plastic conduit and hammers that in almost flush with the ground where you would put your dirt hole and that's his that's where he puts his lure and bait and and attractant there yeah so the, Um, the pipe is nothing more than a lure holder that's right. That's exactly right. Yep. And uh, and I've I kind I didn't typically because we got pretty hard clay down here. I didn't use. I don't always drive the pipe all the way in the ground. Um, it, crazily enough, still with it sticking out some where it's obviously a pipe, <laughs> I've still had action on it. But that yeah. has been that has been really eye opening just in how it, it, helpful and how it can keep your traps going through the through the wet rainy season especially like we've been having this year um so i i've adopted kind of that covering yeah um on on all my sets if i put a flat set if i put a dirt hole set i'm i'm using that to try and and it you know typically if you're sifting dirt over your dirt or your your trap if you get a good rain it's going to start washing and your trap parts of your trap may show and you may have to come and sift some more dirt over it um and in my experience, a lot of times I have good success from catches after a rain. So I don't want, you know, if we get a rain early in the evening or late in the afternoon, I don't want my trap to be showing because there's a good chance something's going to come through and, and possibly work that set if everything looks good. Uh, and so using that, using that grass and what I found works better for me is actually, uh, hay. If you can find a field that's been hayed and, uh, you're, there'll still be some clippings in you know in between where they ran the balers or even yeah. even just some shortcut hay um so you breaking that up into shorter pieces no no just uh for the most part just grabbing it as it is okay. um 
and then just spreading that. Because the grass clippings, for the ones that I've used, tend to shrivel up, and they just, they're not as easy to deal with, but that hay stays flat cut, and, you know, you can, it doesn't take a whole lot of hay to really kind of spread over that trap a little bit, and it, a lot of, honestly, if you stand back and look, I mean, you can see the trap frame through there. You're like, man, this is, there's no way this is working. <laughs> but for, I guess, you know, that's pretty natural for a little bit of grass to be laying there. And, you know, the coyote yeah. assumes there's going to be something underneath it. So I, I assume you've caught coyotes on it. Yeah, I have. I have. So, yeah. So, and, and I, after I learned that, he, he gave that demo at Neil Olson's Trappers Weekend in Bethel, Maine. And, uh, I, I was, I was right there just kind of, eyes glued to the to the demo and it really to me it shouldn't be called the pipe dream set it should be called how you bed your trap set <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it has almost to, it, it, the pipe is the the most the, the least important part of that set it's all about how he gets that that trap bedded in the way he cuts the sod and he sets it in and he pound he pounds out the sides of it and gets that trap just nestled right in there and gets it up above the ground so it can't get water in it i mean that and then the grass covering it, it's pretty i mean pretty ingenious i don't know why we all of us never figured that out before yeah i know and that's like i said i mean i i don't use the pipe very often anymore but i'll use that that bedding method um on just about all of my sets if i if i'm thinking about it. one one thing is i'm just in such a habit of sifting dirt that uh, it just has to, something I have to think about. Of, yeah. All right, I need to get some grass clippings, and I don't need to be using my sister, but but uh, it does, it does, it works very well in when it's raining to keep your sets working. Yeah, and you've got plenty of rain, huh? Yeah, that's for sure. We got more coming starting tomorrow evening, I think. So your soil is it seems red to me. Yeah, so that's what a lot of um, if you once you get kind of they call it the fall line area, but you, you get down into the lower coastal plain. They get a lot of, uh, of Georgia and the, the southeast, I guess. You get into a lot sandier soil. Uh, but in the upper coastal plain in the Piedmont region, it's all red clay. Um, and that's from years, hundreds of years, in the last 200 years when they were doing all the, the farming and the agriculture, there was no mine to no-till or till with the contour and so what everybody says is all of our topsoil was sitting in the atlantic uh, yeah. and so we're just down to red clay and it's it can be a, a challenge for sure we, we we don't have to deal with the ground freezing or anything like that so i i think i'll take my red clay over frozen ground but... <laughs> yeah red clay and rain so yeah. what, what part of georgia are you in so i'm in I hate saying North Georgia because we're not in the, the little bit of mountains that we have, but I'm in I'm in North Georgia, kind of east of Atlanta. Okay. You how far from Atlanta are you? About an hour and a half, two hours. Oh it's, wow! It's it's still a little close, but <laughs> but pretty rural, I'm guessing. Yeah, it is. And you do a lot of trapping around cows, cattle farms. How's that? How, how yes, yeah, so that? that's uh the with. Our, our deer season is so long, we, it starts in, bow season starts mid-September, and they've just extended in the last few years, so deer season runs through the middle of January now. Uh, and so what I run into is our trapping season starts in December and runs through February, but of course, even though nobody's really deer hunting in December, nobody wants you coming in their, their deer lease or their deer property <laughs> yeah. during hunting season. And so in order to be able to trap, um, you know, most of the farmers around here, they don't deer hunt. They don't care. So that's uh, that's one way I've been able to extend my season and get, you know, get the first part of the season uh, in until until some of my timberland. So you, you haven't up. even started with your timberland. That's right. That's right. Wow. That's, yep. that's amazing because we're all done trapping, land trapping here in about four days. So. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I hadn't hadn't even hadn't even got started good yet. So wow. that the cows is the cows is a challenge, um, because they're incredibly curious. Oh, they love to step on stuff, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um, so trying to not have their attention while you're setting traps, <laughs> and then uh, trying to sit close enough because man, you see the cow trails going through that field, and you're like, man, that that the trail. Yeah, it's a highway. You know the coyotes are running that too, so you don't want to get too far from it. But you also <laughs> don't want cows stepping all over your set. So um, that's that's definitely a challenge. But I've been 
so far this year, I've, I've been working around it a little bit. I hadn't had had too much problem with the cows yet. So, do you have any strategies that uh, you could share about how to how to deal with keeping trying to keep cows from stepping on your sets and setting your traps off? Yeah. So one thing I've I've been trying to set. You know, I usually in these pastures, there's there's not a whole lot in the pasture so far as eye appeal or, or just any features in the pasture unless there's like a creek drain or a creek running through. Um, so usually I'll kind of key in on fence corners or uh, if there's a little bit of hardwood or something like that that actually does come out into the pasture. And usually, you know, there's a pretty good trail around those uh, along the fence edge or, or wrapping around some of the, the wood that may the woods that may come out into the into the pasture. And so I try to still key in on some of the intersections and the, the pinch points that I think the coyotes are going to be using. Um, but if there's something like one, one set in particular I've got is a cedar tree that's like two feet off of the cow trail. And so I'm, I'm up really close to that seat. It's a small cedar tree, but I'm up set close enough to it that unless the cow just wants to brush through the cedar tree, he's, uh, he shouldn't step in my trap, but Hopefully, it's still back. It should be still back far enough that it wouldn't have the coyote wouldn't have a problem working it. Um, and so, just using some of that because some of the some of the area where I trap is, you know, they'll they'll bush hog some of the um, some of the underbrush and stuff. And so, if I, I try to get close enough to that where I think it'll deter a cow from coming through there, but it's also close enough to the cow's path where where um, where them coyotes, if they're running the cow trail, they're still going to come by and, and smell, catch their attention. So, yeah. and another thing I tried last year, I used uh there was a piece of piece of plastic corrugated pipe just kind of discarded in the in the field right beside a pond. And so I used that, thinking, man, that's that's a, that's a great eye appeal. That's going to stand out. You know, coyote comes running by here, he's going to have to check that out. I can put my scent back in there. Well, that every cow that came by, they were always kicking that and moving that. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I've used rocks before with pretty good success. If I don't have to move them a lot, but I, <laughs> I don't try to use anything that's real eye appeal, eye catching like I, I would typically do. I've got cows, and I've tried to set make sets here on the farm, and it. it my best method is to set in the pasture that I do not have cows in. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, that's the easiest way for sure. How about the tire set? You tried that? Man, I tried that last year, and uh, the farmer wound up. I didn't tell him that I was putting the tire out there, and so the day after I set the trap, the set I made the set. I came out, son of a gun, I can't find this thing anywhere. I was looking all <laughs> oh, over the geez. place. The tire was gone. The farmer had picked it up. Oh man! I ran into him a couple of days later, and he said, "Yeah, I'm sorry about that." He said, "You picked that thing up." <laughs> got back to the house, and I said, "Man, that thing smells funny." And uh, and then he said, I realized it was probably something you put out there. I said, yes, sir. I, I should have let you know. But, so I haven't used it well enough to, to see whether it works or not. But in theory, the cow sh- hopefully shouldn't step in, into that tire. Uh, right. But I have. Heard, but I've never I, used it. I have heard people say that, and, and I can believe it, if if it's new to the area, the cows will probably nudge the tire around. Yeah. Yep. So. I'll mess up your set. Yep. Well, it's all about trying new things and learning, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so what's, what can we expect uh, in the future from Coyote Trapping School? Shoot, man, that's a, that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope a, a lot more content and consistent, consistently putting, putting stuff out that, uh, that's useful. Useful that, that can, uh, you know, one thing that I want to, as I've, as I've kind of grown my following, and really a lot of the folks that follow my trap line, um, on YouTube, you know, my semi-live trap line and all, I figure, yeah, just guessing, it's probably about half and half new folks or folks that don't even trap, but they, you know, they hunt or whatever, and they just kind of think it's neat. And then a lot of it's, you know, tra- trappers that, you know, getting to run somebody else's trap line with them. Um, so I, I really want to, in addition to be able to get folks started, I also want to make sure that anybody that's a seasoned trapper that's watching, you know, I'm still adding something that hey that they can still try to pick up whether it's trying something new like the expander pans or or uh you know add something that that anybody whether you're a new trapper or you've been trapping for 30 years or something that you could take away that would be useful for for use on your trap line so i will say one one thing that i've, I've been messing around with uh, this year and, and hope to more next summer is 
with the, the fur market like it's been, and then especially with our southern fur market, uh, I got the, because we, we don't have great fur values, and I honestly don't remember where I came up with it now, but this past year, instead of sending all my fur to sale, I sold, I sent some of it to have tanned hair off. Um, hair so, off. yeah, so it's leather. And so that's one thing I've been messing around with is, is doing some leather work, making some wallets and things like that. Wow, really? Um, yeah. So I figure, you know, especially with, with trappers and then kind of the trapper circle, it'd be a lot cooler, or, you know, even thinking like coon hunters or something like that. If you can buy, if you can have a, a coyote wallet or a coon skin wallet, that would be a definitely something neat, something I've never really seen before. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's something that I've been, I've been tinkering around with and during, Leather work, that's a whole nother. Have you done any videos on that or anything? Yeah, I've done a, a couple, um, on my first, the first, not the actual process, but the first batch that I, I did, I made, um, I made a, a couple videos on that. Um, but I wound up turning out a couple of coon, coon, coon wallets and, uh, coyote wallets, just try to get gauge and get some feedback and, and some interest. Um, and I think actually, I think one of the, I think it's coyotetrappingschool.com slash leatherwork is a, a page that's got some of the, some of the, the different, the different leathers that I've got tanned and some of the, the wallets and stuff that I've made so far. Um, if you want to see, see kind of what I've been working on, but that's something I think I had a lot of interest actually in beaver tails. And I had some, I had some beaver tails tanned. And so I've, I've actually, I had a few left in the freezer that I, I sent off to have tanned. Hopefully I'll get them back before long. But, um, that, that's probably, it surprised me where. You sent the tails off to get tanned? Yep. And yep. So they, is that kind of a standard thing or did you have to talk to them directly to let them know you're sending beaver tails? No, it's, it's, uh, the tannery is called specialty, specialty leather and they're in Iowa. Okay. Um, and they, they specialize in leather. And so I called them beforehand just to make sure because I, you know, I wasn't sending deer hides or anything. I was sending, actually did send a deer hide, but just, I didn't want a bunch of coon skins to show up and they not know what to think about it. Um, but they, they had no problem. They, they had a price list, you know, listing all fur bearing animals, beaver tails and send them some snapping turtle, uh, hides. And, wow. um, so it, it, uh, it, it turned out pretty neat. I, I'm excited about, about, keeping tinkering around with that and messing around with that so yeah that's pretty cool some something else to do with beaver tails the only thing i ever figured out to do was make beaver tail oil yeah well and that's i tried a little bit of that so how is your what do you use your beaver tail oil for uh i've been mixing it in with a long distance call predator lure that i'm using but um i i've heard that it uh initiates a pretty good digging response in coyotes but i have not tried it with coyotes yet well i uh i've actually tried making a little bit myself this year and what i noticed is when i skin i just in reading some about skinning beaver tails and all one old guy said that he after he skinned the tails he would either throw the tail in his wood stove he said it burned like crazy or he would throw <laughs> it to his dog and so uh when i when i would skin the tail i just started throwing the, the tails to my dog and i was like man he it he loves it and uh, so I got thinking about that, and so I tried. I don't know if it might be better off fresh. I tried making some um, beaver tail oil. I just I rendered it in a crock pot instead of sun rendering it, and it was without the skin on it. Uh, I hadn't I hadn't been as ex, I was expecting more out of it than than what's happened. I, I haven't used it a whole lot yet, but but uh, that's still to be determined. But anyway, yeah, that's a. I, now, what, what was the what was what did the color look like? Because I because I just did mine with the tail with the leather on. I just chopped up the tails, put them in a bunch of glass jars, left them out in the sun until they rendered down to oil. And it was like a golden brown. It's it's kind of still a golden brown color. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's I don't know. That's one thing that I like. I enjoy trapping and just in a way to try to to make more out of it, especially, you know, with, with fur prices not being great. And, you know, it's a good time to try to experiment with things I figure. And so just trying to, again, just try to think, think creatively about, you know, something that I could, 
I could do with this stuff to to make it go a little bit further. So yeah, if you're looking at a one or two dollar coon, uh, two or three dollar coon, why not make it into some wallets? Yeah, exactly. I mean, really, it, it, what else are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. And that's another thing that I, I hate about the market like it is and that no, nobody is buying anything, any Southern fur. Is there's a, there, like I said, I mean, a lot of my interest comes from folks that are interested in predator control. They right. don't care. They're not getting into it to skin the high, the, you know, skin the animal and try to sell the fur. So, you know, they're, they may be just chunking stuff in the woods. And I hate that. I, you know, if there was some way that I could, you know, even pay a couple bucks, that's better than them throw it in the woods. Um, so at, right. by no means have we gotten that far yet, but just in me trying to think big picture long term, that's something that I have thought about. So, well, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, um, everything, anything you get from the first bonus at that point. Yep. That's right. So, yeah. And the fur market will probably turn around at some point, hopefully, but. We'll see. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, Chris. Anything else we didn't, we haven't covered that you want to talk about? I don't think so, man. I don't. I think I, we've uh, we covered a lot. So I got one more tough question for you. Lay it on me. Have you checked your Instagram today? I have not. <laughs> All right. I said I tagged you in a picture. I don't do this very often, but I was out um, looking for musk, looking for beaver and muskrat sign, and I found a. a a hummock, a grassy hummock on top of a beaver flowage, uh, about 12 inches of ice underneath it, and the coyote track, fresh coyote track, and coyote walked right by it and pissed on it. Huh. And I said, at coyote trapping school, how would you make this set? <laughs> All right. Y'all have to check it out, then. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it, um, we only have like four more days, five more days in our, our coyote trapping season, but uh, I won't be back there, but it would be kind of kind of neat to make a set there at, and on 12 inches of ice and try to catch a coyote. Yeah, that would. Hmm, I'd have to think about that one long and hard. I get I get people that ask me that you know ask me about using antifreeze and stuff like this. I'm like, man, I don't I don't really know what to tell you. I've never had to use antifreeze, so that was yeah. one good thing about about going to Ohio is I got a little bit of experience, and I actually I've got some antifreeze coming. That I guess I'm gonna try testing out using making a set and putting it in my deep freeze and just just try it. so I've <laughs> at least got a little bit of experience and can give folks a uh, some thoughts on it anyway. So how often does it freeze down there? Does it? It it does, but it's not not very often. We we'll, every few years we'll get like a, a week or so of below freezing, but usually it warms back. You know, usually most of the time it warms above freezing during the day. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, we'll get we we'll get a good many days that, that gets down into the the mid to upper twenties, uh, but like I said, it doesn't it doesn't last long. Well, here today it got up to twenty, so <laughs> that, that was our high, and it was beautiful. I enjoyed it for about two hours that it was twenty. Um, uh, but yeah, anyway, we'll get, it'll be it'll be eighty here in a couple of weeks probably. So, <laughs> uh, Chris, thanks so much for being on, man. I appreciate it, and I I really enjoy talking with you. Uh, have a lot of fun. Um, coyotrappingschool.com if you guys want to check that out uh, trapping video course uh, training course and uh, check out Chris on uh, Instagram, YouTube um, anything else Chris? No man that's it, that's it, I appreciate it I enjoyed it. Alright, awesome <laughs>